Hello, and welcome to Revolution 22's teaching podcast. We are a church from the downtown area in Boise, Idaho. Thank you for joining us today and hearing this week's sermon. We pray that God's word will be received and will bear fruit in your life. Well, good morning, everybody. Um, So my name is Richard. I'm one of the elders here, and I get to preach today on Romans 13. And you guys already know um, what that's about because we read it. And it's exciting, right? Submit to the government is what we get to talk about, at least part of it. And then it then it gets a little better. But um, no, but that's that's what the first kind of third is. But one thing I love about these verses is towards the end, we get to talk more about delighting in God. Um, so bear with me as we, as we kind of go over this. But also, if you're new visiting today, I'm not normally up front. So Ryan, will conti- he's our lead pastor. He's going to continue next week with Romans um, 14. So let's start, though, by just doing a quick review of where we've been. Um, so where we've been in Romans 1 through 8 is we see this beautiful gospel message we see that all have fallen short of the glory of God. We see that, that we are made righteous through Christ, um, not through the works of the law. That there's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. We see that since God is for us, who can be against us? We see that the suffering of the present age, um, it's not worth comparing to what awaits us. Um, that we're more than conquerors through Christ, who strengthens us. Um, that nothing can separate us from the love of God. Um, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So that's, that's Romans 1 through 8. And then Romans 9 through 11 is um, a little bit of a detour in some ways. Uh, but what you see is Paul begins to wrestle now with some, some different questions, like uh, what about election? What about man's role in salvation? What about the, the Gentiles being grafted into this plan of salvation? Um, and then Romans 12, John Mitchell um, preached last week on it, and we see another shift. And this shift is now a shift uh, to worship. And what we see is that um, a heart of worship loves and pursues Yahweh above all else by abiding in him and walking in surrendered obedience to him for his glory and our best. So in essence, what we see is a shift from how much God loves us and some of the questions to now, how do a righteous people act? And that's, uh, that, that's where um, you know, the loving one another's, a lot of that is in, in Romans 12. But in Romans 13, uh, we get to continue with that. Only now, it, it will look a little bit different. because. But the theme is still the theme of worship, loving others. Um, and so the question again is, how, how are we to now act? What do we do with this love that, that has been given to us? And so that leads us to these verses. In this first section, there, there, okay, so there's definitely a temptation to think of this as a transactional kind of thing. It's like, okay, God loves you, so now submit to the government. That's what we do. There's, there's a temptation, I think, when we see these do verses. But I mean, one thing that I love about um, the letter to, to the Romans is that um, God doesn't lead with that. I mean, the first uh, chapters 1 through 8 are for sure about God's love for us, and then 9 through 11 is... So, so he doesn't lead with... Do this so that you're justified. In fact, it's the opposite. So now it's more, what do we get to do in response? But So just, just keep that in mind, that this is all to be done um, with the spirit of love, which, which Paul gets to. But let me go ahead and just read verses 1 through 7. 
Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval, for he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the steward of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes for the authorities, our ministers of God, attending to this very thing. Pray to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. So this very first command um, is let everyone be subject to the governing authorities. Now, like I said, this, this does raise a lot of questions. If you're like me, you read that, and you're like, okay, what is that? Because we all think of the many cases where the government doesn't do what it should. Are we still to be in subjection to them? And we'll get to that. But first, I want to stay in the text and just see what, what Paul's telling us. This is about loving others. Again, it's about loving others. With, um, let's see. It's, it's about loving others as we submit ourselves to the government, that is. Um, but yeah, so, bear with, there we go. All right, so um, the question then is raised, why, why do we submit to the government? And that's, that's what Paul kind of looks at next, inspired, of course, by the Holy Spirit. So he says, um, one reason why we should do this, submit to the government, is because there's no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. In other words, um, and, and this is similar to what you, we see Jesus uh, teach in multiple different ways. We also see Peter um, say a similar thing. But let's just, let's just reflect on the words of Christ himself. Um, so when the 11 disciples went to Galilee and they saw the resurrected Christ, Christ gave them the Great Commission. And one thing that Christ told them is that all authority in heaven and in earth has been given to me. All authority. So Christ has authority over all of heaven and earth. And even more clear is when Jesus stood before Pilate. Um, and Pilate said to him, You will not speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? Jesus answered him, You would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given you from above. So again, um, it's consistent with what, um, or Paul, I should say, is consistent with the teachings of Christ. But what other reasons are given? Uh, for he is God's servant for your good. So reason number two is that the government does exist when it's functioning properly. It's a blessing. I mean, think about it. The purpose of government is to, to punish evil and reward the good. What a blessing it is that we can call 911. I mean, can you imagine you wake up, your spouse is unresponsive, you can actually pick up a phone, call 911, and someone will come help you. Um, so it, it is a blessing when it's working uh, as it should. A third reason given is that if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. This is a very practical reason. Paul's basically saying, submit to the government because the government bears the sword, um, or the gun in our case. Now, the fourth reason given is that we're to do this not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. Which, I think you go a couple ways with that. You could say that 
by if you don't do the first or if you don't do it willingly for the first three reasons, then your conscience will will tear you apart because you'll you'll kind of know well this is authority given by God. I'm not doing it. But another argument could be made that there's um, some kind of moral duty here that that exists that we should just do it because it's it's just morally the right thing to do. Um, but what does this look like? So what does submission to the government uh, look like? It's pay all to, pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect, honor to whom honor is owed. So it's almost as if Paul knows where our mind goes with this. Wait, what, what does that mean? Well, it means that we pay our taxes, we, um, we give honor, respect to where, to where it's due. But let's go ahead and talk about the, the glaring kind of elephant in the living room. Um, what about when they don't reward the good and punish? What do we do when the government doesn't do as it should? There's many examples. You've got Hitler, Stalin, um, Mao. I mean, there's, there's so many examples of when the government doesn't do that. What are we to do as Christians? Well, there's really two categories now. There's, um, one of them is, is a little bit easier. It's basically, it basically goes like this. It says, what if the government tells you to do something that clearly is against God's law, like the opposite? Um, what are we to do with that? The second one is a little bit harder. Let's, let's just look at, the, at that first one real quick. So in Daniel, the, so, the, so scripture gives us um, some answers to that, fortunately. So Daniel chapter 6, the king says, only petent, uh, petition me for 30 days. Otherwise, you'll be thrown into the lion's den. That's what the king said. He made a, he, he made a rule that, in essence, you couldn't pray to your God. And what does Daniel do? He got on his knees. He goes to his house. Then he gets on his knees. And he in front of his window, prays to God so that all can see. So, so that, was a, that was a defiance that, that was appropriate. Um, what about in Exodus chapter 1, verses 15 through 20, we see the midwives disobey the king's order to kill their babies. That's another, another example. In the New Testament, we have Acts chapter 5, when Peter and the apostles taught, even though the council had said, do not teach in Christ's name, they did it anyway. And when they asked Peter why, he said, we must obey God rather than men. So, um, so this command to, to be subjected to the government, or in essence, submit to the government, um, there's for sure an asterisk there. If the government asks you to do something that's against God's law, we are not to do that. We are to obey God. But there's another one, another category that's a little more difficult. It's, it's what if, though, the government is just doing something that is unjust, um, oppressing a people group, a racial group, um, in a horrible way? What are we to do with that? This is where discernment's needed. I mean, if and and the 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 depending on how kind of um, how horrible the action is, could inform how we would be how would we react. But really, we just have to listen to the spirit. Um, if someone's installing like a roundabout in your neighborhood, I mean, that's probably not something that's just hor- horrendous enough that you need to go out and tear it down and. You know, protests. I mean, I don't know. It's fine. We're this is America. We are the government. So I know it gets complicated in that degree. But but the idea here is that, and and I think the broader point that that I think we can make through Scripture is that if we are if we are to do that, then the tone and demeanor of this Christian civil civil disobedience will be the opposite of strident, belligerent, rock throwing, screaming swearing violent demonstrations. So if it does come to that, it definitely shouldn't look like um, what we might see um, uh, that could be common in our culture even. 
And I have one more quote that I'll read, and then, then we'll move on. Um, so this is, again, addressing the, the how are we as Christians to, to operate when, when the government is doing unjust things. So this is what this commentator said. He said, We are the people of the cross. Our Lord submitted to crucifixion willingly to save his enemies. We owe our eternal life to him. We are forgiven sinners. This takes the swagger out of our protest. It takes the arrogance out of our resistance. And if, after every other mean has failed, we must disobey for the sake of love and justice, we will first remove the log from our own eye, which will cause enough pain and tears to soften our indignation into a humble, quiet, but unshakable no. The greatest battle we face is not overcoming unjust laws, but becoming this kind of people. And I think if that, if that drives those conversations, um, then I think we're on the right track. So let's move on, though. Um, so this next section, I'll just read it. So, owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. So again, a question comes up, I think, that it's so easy. Isn't it easy for us to see that and say, aha, there's a rule we can follow. Do not ever borrow. Um, and there are brilliant um, Christians with, with a clean, uh, clear conscience that would take that position. And, and so I, I don't mean to, um, to belittle it because it, it's a position that, that someone could have that they just will never borrow because of this verse. Now, personally, I, I, I don't think that's what the text is saying. And I, th- I think one hint to that is the context of verse 7, which is right above it. Pay to all um, what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed. So it's this idea of when we incur debts, we are to pay them. I think, I think that's what it's, it's being taught. And in case you're really wrestling or you're not sure, just consider this. If borrowing is, is a sin then surely lending is too. And not just borrowing money, borrowing sugar, um, borrowing a jacket, borrowing a tent when you go camping. Um, What does Jesus say, though? He says in Matthew 5, give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. So, um, So what is the point of this passage then? This is about loving others, is really what it's about. And, um, and that's what the text is saying. Owe no one anything except to love each other. Now, this is another passage that I, th- I think is a little confusing when you first see it, because it's like, owe no one anything except to love each other? Why, though? I mean, if, if someone's walking down the street, you don't necessarily lead with, I owe that person a debt of love. I mean, you don't know them. How could they owe you? And so, usually when we are in debt, it's because we receive something. And Paul knows this. It's not like, you know, there's like Paul had a typo there. So what's he getting at? What he's getting at is that we have received something from another, God, and instead of paying God back, we are to pay others back. And you might think, well, wait a second, like, shouldn't we pay God back, though? The answer to that is no. And we dare not even think that. We dare not even try to repay Christ back for his act of grace. Um, in fact, it's only pride that would even 
start us down that road, and we all do it in different ways at times. The debt, is not beca- the, de- the debt that we have is not because of what others have done for us, but it's because Christ has done everything for us. So another way to look at it, I mean, our debt is really infinite. There's just no way we could pay it back. And another quote I'll read here. Um, our debt is, is, to others is utterly unique. It's a kind of debt that they do not deserve, but we must pay. It's a kind of debt created by something we received, but which must be paid not to the one who gave it, but to others who, like us, don't deserve it. It's a debt, therefore, that is paid freely. The pressure to pay it does not come from the merit of the one we pay, but from the mercy we've received from Christ. And I think this fits what we intuitively already know about um, debts and loving. And, and In other words, if, if somebody asks you out for lunch, you know, they're loving you by doing that. Now, let's say you go to lunch, and then the next day, let's say you're like, well, they asked me to lunch. I guess I have to ask them to lunch now. It doesn't feel right, right? Like, it should be just, I want to love you and do this. So, so it's, it's this idea that, um, that giving freely, not expecting anything in return, is superior to a transactional kind of thing. And I think that's what Paul's getting at. That, that's why we are to love others, um, uh, owe, owe no debts except to love them. Now, um, Paul does, does, you might have noticed too that Paul does mention the law here, and, um, and that those who love their neighbor fulfill the law. You might wonder, wait a second though, I thought loving the Lord God was fulfilling. That was the first one, right? Well, that's really what Romans 1 through 11 is about. And so it follows that it's okay that, you know, I think that's probably why he didn't mention it. Because really, all the way up until that is about loving God in response to him first loving us. All right, so let's go to the next section. And this is kind of the final section. So besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. So then, let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. So what are we to do with this? Um, In this section, we see a few things. We see... Besides this, knowing the time, we see that the hour has come. We see salvation is nearer to us than when we first believed, which, by the way, that's not talking about the decisive salvation that you received when you came to faith. This is more the, what we will experience in glory. In there. So there's different tenses of salvation. Paul says that the night is far gone, the day is at hand, that we should cast off the works of darkness, that we should put on the armor of light, that we should walk properly, not in sin. And he lists three different pairs or types of sins. Drunkenness and orgies, which in essence is this excess. Um, Sexual immorality or sensuality, those are just the sexual sins. Quarreling and jealousy, these are kind of the relational kinds of sins. Um, He says instead, put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Let's look at a few of these a little closer, though. Um, So besides this, you know the time. Besides this, besides besides what, again? (laughs) Besides this is really, so for two chapters, love your neighbors, let your love be genuine, love with a brotherly affection, repay no one evil, do not avenge, if your enemy is hungry, feed them, owe no one nothing, nothing except to love. Um, so 
the besides this is besides that here's another incentive to love um and that incentive is knowing the time and so not to get down into like too much of an um of a rabbit hole on eschatology but there's there's really think of it as there's two different ages there's a present age the age to come and we live in this overlap of them um, when, when they reign, and, and, and they both seem to reign, and that's why we have to put on the armor of light every day. That's why we feel this tension of the um, kind of the already, not yet that, that people talk about. Um, so that, I think that's what, what Paul's alluding to on that. Um, but he also says, the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. He's saying, wake up. That's what Paul's saying. Paul's saying, wake up. Look at the age we live in. We're in, the, you know, wake up. I mean, he's saying, and then he says, in essence, like, what do you do when you wake up? So what do you guys do when you wake up? This is dangerous asking a question, isn't it? <laughs> okay, so you think about going back to sleep. Maybe you put on clothes too. So like, put on clothes, you go out, right? You put on clothes, wrong. <laughs> what Paul says is, we put on the armor of light. So when we wake up, that's what we do. Our first thing is we put on our armor of light. Now the soldier in me gets triggered a little bit here, for sure. Um, anytime armor comes up, I just think of, yeah, it's this epic fight. We're in this epic battle. Um, and, and yeah, I'm, I'm sure I'm not the only one that experiences that. Um, and I, I'd be lying if I didn't say I have a bucket list of being able to do a William Wallace speech sometime, which I know will never happen and mine are horrible but let's say i did do that what i might say is something like this aren't you tired of letting the enemy have his way imposing his will upon you um are you ready to fight are you willing to jump out of your foxhole and join your brothers and sisters in this fight are you ready do you realize that every time you lust after someone who's not your spouse Every time you're jealous over what others have, every time you quarrel over secondary issues, every time you gossip behind people's backs, every time we're enslaved to a substance using more of it than we know we should, we're giving ground to the enemy. Who's ready to fight? You guys ready to fight? Who's going to lay down your life for your family? How about your kids? Will you die for your friends? How about your fellow soldiers who are walking through life with you? Will you die for your enemies? And this is where the movie producer says, wait, what? That's not happening. The crickets start, right? This is where these motivational speeches, they go so far. And I'm not knocking them. They they can be real helpful at times. Sometimes that's what we need, is just to be reminded. And I even think Paul's doing that. The way he says, the time has come. Wake up. Put on your armor. Um, But there's another part to this that Paul Paul mentions towards the end. Um, You see, the issue that we have is not, it's not really an issue of motivation. And it's not even an issue of discipline, I don't think. Um, Those things are good, for sure. We are absolutely in a fight. We are absolutely in a battle, a war even. Ephesians 6, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over their present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So please hear me out. I'm not pushing back against a mentality um, that, that might say, come on, do as I do. You know, that, that's fine. 
What I'm pushing back against is this idea that if we just try harder, you'll finally conquer your sin. What we need is something else. We need new desires. That's what we need. And I think that when Paul mentions put on the Lord Jesus Christ, I think that's where he's, where he's going with it. Um, so for those of us who are sick of our sins, sick of stumbling around in darkness, what are we to do? We're, we're to put on the armor of light when we wake up. And that probably alludes to faith, hope, and love. You know, Faith comes through hearing, hearing through the word of, of God. Love, we love because we're first loved. So we put that on, yes, absolutely. But there's another part we put on Christ, and this in some ways feels even more crucial, um, although, although they're both important. So what are we to do? In many ways, um, this can be done. You can put on Christ in many different ways. When the enemy reminds you of your failures, to put on Christ is to swing the sword of the Spirit. And with the words of Paul, even, um, inspired by the Holy Spirit, who said, Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It's God who justifies. Who is to condemn? So when the enemy, when you hear that voice of, man, you messed up again, how, you know, remember, um, your salvation is secure. Christ did it all. He, he did it. Who's going to bring a charge against God's elect? God's the one that justifies the enemy is the one who will condemn you. Um, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? When, when that thought then leads you to think, does God even love me? I mean, am I, have I just gone too far, too many times? Um, in Christ, who shall separate you from the love of Christ? Nothing will. And when you're too weak to put on Christ, is to remind yourself that you're more than a conqueror through Christ who strengthens you. Remember that we live in this unique time. We still have to put on the armor. Um, and then finally, if you're making excuse after excuse, and, and I tend to do this, um, Jesus, I think, would say to us, just like he said to the, the person that couldn't walk at the pool of Bethesda, what did he say? He said, Jesus said, do you want to be healed? And what was, it, what was his response? Do you guys remember? He says, in essence, he, he kind of gave excuses. He says, no one will pick me up and put me in the, the pool. And even if I did... Other people come and get in my way. And how does Jesus respond to that? Get up, take up your bed, and walk. Get up, take up your bed, and walk. So our issue, again, it's not a lack of discipline, I don't think. Our primary issue is we have competing desires. And Paul, you know, in Romans 7, he says, For I delight in the law in my inner being. I delight in the law of God in my inner being. But I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. So remember that the first work of, this, of the Spirit, and again, we're talking about how do you put on Christ? How, how, do we do, how do you actually live this out? One way is to remind yourselves that the first work of the Spirit is to cause us to see the loveliness and supreme excellence of the divine. So when you first became a Christian, there was something in you that said, that is supreme um, excellence. That loveliness is something I, I can't deny. This God that would die for me, show me another God that does that. You can look, there's none. There's really not any others. There's one God that dies on a cross for us. To put on Christ is to revisit this first act of the Spirit. It's to revisit it. It's to remind yourself of his truths revealed through his word. Um, you know, another way is what passages, when you first became a Christian, 
like really stuck out to you and really, you know, you just really loved, you know, go back to those. Go back to the word. To put on Christ is to gaze into his divine beauty. To hear of his love, his grace, his security. Through this, our desires can change. You see, the power of the gospel is that it can change desires. You see his extraordinary kindness. Um, and by the way, I mean, if, if you can't see that in God, why would you fall? Why would you want to put him on? So you see, delighting in him is putting on Christ. So in short, I mean, and I guess um, the concluding thought would be, would be just to wrap it up. I mean, make no provision for the, the flesh to gratify its desires. Remember, if there's an addict um, that just keeps going back to, to whatever drug they're addicted to or whatever pattern, what do they need? They need discipline? Sure, I guess they need discipline probably. But what do they really need? They need something greater to fill that desire that they keep filling with drugs or, um, or media or whatever, or food. You know, we need something greater. And, and I think that's what, what Paul means here. We put on the armor of light. We put on Christ so that we um, do not gratify its desires. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, thank you, God. Thank you, Lord, for calling us all out of darkness. Those of us who are in Christ, God, thank you. We did nothing to deserve it. We simply get to experience it. Lord, would you help us to just think rightly about, about you? Um, help us, Lord, to, to delight in you. And, and these are fancy words, sure, but Lord, I think we know what it is. It's, it's just to, to experience you again, to think of you, of your loveliness, of your grace, of your kindness, um, to reflect on that. Help us to do that. Lord, and, and, and of course, if there's anyone here that that hasn't yet done that, I pray, God, that they would just take that step. If, if something was said or they heard or they felt, if they can see the divine beauty in this God that would die on a cross for them um, simply because he loves them, um, would they just um, let someone know that they came with and, and receive you into their heart? And um, we'd even welcome them to take communion with us. So, Lord, as, as the band starts, um, may we just worship you.